0: This podcast is sponsored by Engineered Tax Services, a subsidiary of Engineered Advisory, whose goal is to support CPAs and their clients to achieve the highest and best use of time and resources. ETS offers specialty tax services and incentives, which help expand your capabilities and ensure that your clients are paying only what is required in taxes and nothing more. To learn more about engineered tax services, go to engineeredtaxservices.com and mention the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast to receive project discounts and a free CPA partnership ebook. Hi, everyone. This is Heidi Henderson, and you are listening to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast for accountants. I am really passionate about people and the industry. And I truly believe that the accounting industry can do better for both our clients and its professionals. So I'm going to share insights from people who have found professional success and who have managed to balance that with their physical, mental, and personal health. So I hope you enjoy, and I hope you get inspired. Accountants can earn free CPE from listening to this episode. Just visit earmarkcpe.com, download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. And now on to the episode. Hi everyone, it's Heidi. And today we have Jeffrey Dunick is our guest with Light Source Consulting. And Jeff and I have actually worked together, I think for almost 10 years, Jeff.
1: It's kind of like creeping up on us,
0: which is amazing. Sometimes it amazes me to look back on things like that. But um, I wanted to bring Jeff on the show because he has a really different and interesting niche. And he has really built a practice. He is an enrolled agent, and he's built a practice of consulting with taxpayers with strategy. And, you know, it kind of is similar to what ETS does, but in a different capacity. And it's been fascinating to see how he's working with a lot of clients, but also working with CPAs collaboratively to look for all these different solutions and to pinpoint areas where taxpayers have opportunities to invest in alternative investments or other things and tax strategies or even just documentation for different things that he can deploy with his clients in the way that he works with them. So I thought it would be a fun, interesting conversation to kind of dive into what he's doing and really how he got to where he is first off. So with that, Jeff, let's start first with just some background. How about let's let's go back. Where did you grow up?
1: Grew up in San Antonio, Texas. Oh, nice! So, uh, went to Clark High School. but graduated from University of Texas. Went there, played volleyball for University of Texas as a setter. Oh, and then uh, with a kines- with a kinesiology degree, thinking I was going to go to med school. But let me tell you, a 3.2 GPA does not get you into med school. So, from there, I went uh, in the working field. Went to work for Fox Television, believe it or not, selling television advertising, and uh, worked my way up to be all the way to a GM to, to running TV stations. And then I met my beautiful bride here in Florida, and the company asked me move to move to Los Angeles. And my wife's family is here, and my wife says, nope, I'm not moving away from mom. I says, okay. So I resign from there, and then I start my own business, an uh, online marketing company. Did quite well with it. Sold that company. Them saying, what am I going to do? So start started working for a tax consulting company about 12 years ago. And mm-hmm. the stuff I started learning there, I realized in business development, I started learning there is like, where was this advice at when I was a business owner? Because the advice I was getting from my CPA was like, hey, Jeff, there's deductions out there, but this is the price you have to pay for being successful. I'm thinking mm. I'm missing something in the boat and mm. uh, fell in love with helping clients out because I was that business owner and it it sucks, you know, making good money, but paying high taxes. And uh, yep. from there, I left the other firm I used to work for to start my own business and uh, been very successful for the last four years doing that now. That's
0: Background. very nice yeah like i say, i mean it's it's been interesting to see what you've been able <laughs> excuse me what you've been able to implement and how that's worked with some of our mutual clients that we yes. worked on as well and before we dive into all the tax technical stuff i like to get into the fun stuff first Perfect. i didn't know you played volleyball yes. i played volleyball and track and then my daughter was also volleyball and track okay uh-huh. uh, i didn't know you had a kinesiology degree which i think is fascinating so the whole premise of this podcast healthy wealthy and wise although we like to focus on some tax technical stuff and strategy and building our firms and thinking outside the box, I'm really trying to plug in this aspect of of our ability to actually create some balance in our lives and that it's okay to take care of ourselves and important to take care of ourselves physically and mentally, as well as being strong and successful professionals. So before we get into the tax technical stuff, And because you brought up volleyball, I think being a college athlete gives us a really interesting perspective. You become a little bit addicted to certain things. You do. Tell me about, you know, tell me from that aspect, how do you balance your work life with, you know, your staying physically healthy and balancing all that stuff?
1: Great question. It's hard, but (laughs) the competitiveness in you, if if you played sports, you... it's not like lifting weights or jogging. You 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 have to win. If you play the competitive sport, you have to have the competition. So, even when I travel, I try to find pickup volleyball games. Go to here, play pickup games. Mm-hmm. I coach for 19 years because <laughs> the love of the game for me is important to me because I feel that you know it got it gave me a, co- a college education. And yep. when you step on you do anything athletic, you, what does it do for you? Like so when I step on the at- volleyball court, it, all my worries go away. Your mental side's better. You met some great people, great, great, great friends. And if the game can give you that much, what are you giving the game back? So mm-hmm. I coached for 19 years. I coached girls volleyball from 12 year olds to 19 year olds. I coach Olympic festivals, uh, highest in club in high school. And, and that was a lesson for the girls. I said, Hey, look, if, if you're on the court and all your boyfriend problems go away, your mom and dad problems go away, your teacher problems go away, you're in a good mental place and. If the game's giving you this much, are you returning that to the game in practice right now? Hmm. And uh, I try to do that even with this business. So this business I run now on my own has given me so much financial freedom, time to take off when I want to take off with my family, not when someone dictates Hmm. me when I take off. So if if this company could do the same thing, I have to do the same thing for the company and work hard for it too.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a pretty great philosophy. And it's interesting because I do think that like, I'm an advocate for kids in sports. Yes. Not because I'm a huge sports fan per se. Honestly, I'm not a football fan. I don't. I don't like to watch sports on TV. But I do feel like it. It provides an outlet. It keeps kids busy. It teaches a different worth ep- ethic and drive. And to your point, I was so fortunate in that sports paid my way through school, and it paid my daughter's way through school, and it was the greatest gift. But not only that, going to school, you had an automatic community. You didn't have to go make a bunch of new friends because you mm-hmm. walk right in and you've got your teammates. Brilliant. And that creates a social environment that is so strong and has so many auxiliary benefits for us the rest of our lives as we deal with teams, as we deal with the interaction between people in our lives and how that correlates to what it's like on a sports court.
1: Yeah, and it does. You're right. and But it also gives accountability. And what's yeah. And what sports for me? Like you said, the youth now. It's my son just committed a full ride for baseball for University of Dayton, University of Dayton, as a pitcher. So nice,
0: like, congratulations! Less,
1: like, hey, I'm paying the sixty six thousand dollars a year for college now. Amen. <laughs> but with today's social media, I think sports are so important for kids because there's so there's so many negative things. How the kids have to look a certain way or act a certain way, and sports can build confidence for especially for young women out there. And I think that mm-hmm. just having a young lady play sports and build her self-confidence because they get beat up every single day in social media and having those coaches, good coaches out there, mentors in the athletic area is so important for our youth.
0: What a, what a huge point. I was at a conference last week, CPA conference, mm-hmm. and I was chatting with another woman. I'm six foot tall. Okay. And there was another woman there um, about my same age and she walked up to me and, I said, oh, hi. She goes, oh my gosh, someone else I'm looking eye level at. And she was also six foot tall. And we kind of laughed and chuckled about that. And we got to talking about, you know, fine, but, you know, certain things could be a pain, finding clothes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it it sort of transitioned to how about your kids and how were they? It was uh, difficult for them. And my daughter is six foot one, six foot two. And I can tell you that because she played volleyball, she loved and appreciated her height whereas if she was not doing that it would have been such a battle such a struggle for her socially to be in the school environment where she literally no pun intended stuck out like a sore thumb
1: <laughs> My, yeah
0: because you know be, because of that and so yeah that that sort of fitting in and getting that confidence mm-hmm. and finding that confidence with who they are, Who they are for their skills and, and strengths is I think, such a gift that uh, athletics can provide. Yeah, I totally agree.
1: It is. You know, you hate to say that, but women in girls sports, they're already told that, oh, you can't do this because you're a girl. Mm-hmm. You know, boys can do this and girls can do that. But you tell these young ladies, no, you can only thing holding you back is your mind, your mental <laughs> state. You can do anything you want to if you just focus on it and work hard on yep. it. And, and, and building the girl's confidence was my biggest goal as a coach because. They come in beat up already. So my first three weeks of coaching was making them feel good about themselves, believe in themselves. So then they can drink my Kool-Aid as a coach. <laughs> then I can coach. Until then, you can't coach them. They have to believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. But I get it about your daughter. My son's six foot six.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: So he's Oh, yeah. He's tall. He's like He stands out. He's like, oh, who's that tall kid? He wants to play basketball. He's like, not the baseball. What? Yeah. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. What's wrong with you?
1: <laughs> yes. Exactly.
0: Well, that, that's amazing. I mean, I think one last point again, we'll, we'll get on to the technical stuff, but this is fun stuff. Yes. It, that I find that sometimes these conversation conversations are really serendipitous for me because I be call me weird. There's something to when I'll, I'll have a thought or be thinking about. Hmm, I should do a podcast on this or something resonates with me, and all of a sudden it just kind of happens. And that's what's happening right at this moment because what I was thinking about just yesterday is I was I was out I was out doing something. Oh, I was I was actually. I ride horses. So I was out working one of my horses and it was a really, it was a hard day and I was like physically exhausted and it kicked my butt for some reason. Like I was like, oh my gosh, I am breathing so hard, sweating and, uh, you know, it's cold outside and, and I thought to myself, we have to remind people that exercise and being healthy doesn't have to be, you have to go to the gym and get on the treadmill for an hour and you have to go lift these weights and do these exercises. That if you can find something you're passionate about, something you mm-hmm. just enjoy doing, and it's playful, that that can literally be the best form of exercise. And I hone into that because then the, you said, when I'm traveling, I go see if I can get into a pickup game or play volleyball somewhere, mm-hmm. and that absolutely resonated because I was literally just thinking about that yesterday.
1: Because that's my that's my exercise. It's not running. It's I'm a guy on the court. I'm competitive. A person. Yeah. And. You know, like people tell you, so Jeff, I love being on your team, but I hate playing against you. <laughs>
0: okay, that's good. Yeah. Like, perfect. So have you yeah. done that ever since college? You've just kind of managed to kind of stick with that? and uh,
1: I have. I can't play volleyball, I find to pick a basketball game. Nice. It's, 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 that, it's that, I guess, that adrenaline you get from winning and competing. Yeah. If you're an athlete, you're, you know, it, it's so hard to find how, how can you compete? Because that, that, that urge to compete and to win will always be there. I have to focus that with my business, mm-hmm. and and then and travel and find that time because if you don't find it, you just got this built up energy, you just don't feel healthy. So you, you have to get that escape somehow.
0: Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. I think especially when you travel, I totally agree. I had Darcy Casey on; she was a guest, and she was saying that she makes it a point in every city to go do hot yoga in the morning, no matter time zone difference, no matter how difficult it is 100%. to get up, and you know just just to move literally changes everything with uh, with traveling as well. So. I couldn't agree more. So if that's any motivation for anybody, you don't have to go to the gym. Go do something you love. Go find a game. Football, yeah, The yeah. biggest thing right now, I, I think it's hilarious. My kid, my daughter got really into this. And now apparently it's a thing. Go play pickleball.
1: <laughs> it's becoming South Florida, that's all it is. It, but, <laughs> but, it, but it's great though, because you think about how many sports can 65, 70 year old people play you yep. know, the elderly play and they can get out and play pickleball, and it's, it's great yeah
0: and it's social yeah. so yeah so go yes. play don't feel like you have to work out you know find something you enjoy start a game right. and have a great time so uh, anyway that was a fun little tangent I'm happy we kind of went down that path because I felt like again it was serendipitous but with that said let's shift gears now tell mm-hmm. us about some of the things that you are doing with how you're working with clients
1: so what I do is really, I, I focus on two areas, right? I, I fo- f- first, I focus on the common tax savings that every single CPA knows that they can do. But the problem with it is that we as business owners don't have time to these deductions the proper way. When I, talk, when I say that, it's really the documentation side behind it. And so CPAs don't want to advise the clients by the way, hire your kids, but there has to be proper steps to do it because if they do it wrong, and don't have the documentation, and then they get audited, now they're in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know. So what I do is really focus on looking at clients who are business owners, anywhere in, income from a 100,000, I have clients that make $10 million a year. And the very first step I do is look at, where are your personal expenses? And I go over those personal expenses with them and tr- try to convert a lot of those I can to true business expenses, because they really are, with just a couple of change of habits and the proper documentation behind it. And then from those tax savings, I look about where you at for retirement because at the end of the day is people don't realize IRA accounts are great, 401k or the qualified plans are great, but they're taxable later on. And so I tell people all the time, says, let me ask you a question. If I'd give you a loan, Heidi, this is, I'm going to give you a loan for 35 years from now, but I'm not going to tell you what the interest rate is going to be <laughs> and you pay the interest at the end of the loan, the term. Is that a good loan? Terrible. Whoa. That's what qualified plans are. Because yeah. we don't know what the taxes are going to be 30 years from when we retire. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: years from now. And so qualified plans have have their place, but there's other alternatives out there that are tax-free benefits for retirement. So you have to have all those buckets, taxable bucket, tax-free bucket, and the uh, tax postponed bucket. But trying to convert a lot of that income to tax-free bucket when they retire is the second part I do. Oh,
0: okay. So you're helping kind of convert some of those things and... Get them Correct. set up for You're success. Different
1: alternative investments or different mm-hmm. types of ways of managing the money. Mm-hmm. And I don't manage the money because I, I look at myself as a connector.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't sell any product, really. I just talk to my clients about concepts on those alternative investments and then I have a uh, teams around me that, just like your team, great team to have with cost irrigation. My clients love it. So I just connect those pieces to my clients because at the end of the day, I want to be more of a consultant to them. Yeah. and that's a product to them
0: so how are, are are you working with some cpas where you're able to kind of come in and assist them with bringing this service to their clients
1: yeah I, I do I, so I have several cpas who refer clients uh for the uh, the alternative investment side but more for the documentation side they mm-hmm. they know that these clients have three kids and they're old enough to work with a company doing all jobs that you we don't think would be like, like I tell clients if you have a two month old Heidi, when your daughter was two months old, would she work for you? <laughs> nope. No way. You would say no, but she could. If you have a website and you have a About Me page on there, I'm going to hire that child as a corporate model <laughs> for your company. <laughs> That's great, but there's rules behind it now. <laughs> you know wh- How much is ordinary income? Because if I go to McAllen, Texas, I can pay that corporate model $3,000. But if I go to New York City, there's different rates. So the job... And location have to be suitable for that child's age and what their job is. Hmm. And then I say, well, if their if child's working for you, we have to make sure there's an employee agreement contract because every single employee you have already has a contract. So let's put a contract together for your child too. Hmm. And then I make sure on that other side is the money goes to a custodial account because you can't put $1 in your left pocket and put it in your right pocket because that's tax evasion. Yep. So the child has to have, have a custodial account. That money goes to the custodial account. And the CPAs, well, that's all great. But then the says, "What can the client says What can I use this money for? Whatever the child's best interest is." So, with my son, works for me, and uh, his money goes toward baseball, his mm-hmm. baseball lessons, his summer travel ball. So it's child's best interest, and he pays for himself. And that way, there. Now, as a two-year-old, what could you do with that money? You could you could put it into a Roth IRA, which is a great college investment. They can buy. Life insurance, certain types of permanent insurance that you can use later on for college education or first car, bar, against it, et cetera. Or they can use it for their daycare or private schools. So And, and clients realize that because they're going to spend money on that child anyways.
0: Yeah, deductible,
1: So that's that's about the perfect expense. I said, well, I'm spending this much on childcare. Okay, we can do it. And clients client says, well, I'm going to buy my son, a six, 16-year-old son, a car. Can I make that a tax deduction? No. But if I hire a son... And we can pay him a certain amount of money. Now we can deduct, he can use that money to buy his own car. And now it's a deduction for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. And so you talked a little bit about documentation. So that's part of what you're bringing in is that you can that's come in
1: and kind of- they, And that's why the CPAs love what I do because they know that they, a child, uh, an employee can hire his child, but it's the documentation behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I talk about section 280 of the tax code, that's the the section where a A taxpayer can run out their primary residence up to 14 times a year
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and not have to pay one dime of rent on it, Okay, meaning taxes on it. How does that work for a business owner? So they know that there's a tax code there. But what I do is when you go home, let's say that my wife's part of my business, if they're a physician, and the wife works in the office, they have business meetings every night. Mm -hmm. So what I do is like, well, we can rent your house out, not for 14 times a year, because I think that's over. That time, I just do 10 meetings a year, and then we use the other two meetings for vacations,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but corporate retreats. But we rent those houses out for those meetings, which is great, but there's documentation behind it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I do a rental agreement. So there's a rental agreement from the homeowner to the business. Very important to have. And then I do a quote. I, I go online and get a quote. How much, is it, how much is a conference room to rent for four hours? Because hotels do not rent for a dollar, I mean, for hourly yeah. If you find a hotel that rents an hourly rate, don't go to the hotel. It's not a good. <laughs> hotel,
0: <right>? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. Just advice. But so we get a, a four-hour quote for a hotel that has you know seeing four to six people, Wi-Fi, internet access, refreshments, flat-screen TV. And what did I describe your living room? We're talking white business with your wife already, <laughs> uh, or, your, or, or your 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 partner, you know, your soon to other. So we do that, and but then I I do the a, a good quote for them, and then I do the corporate meeting minutes. So now they're actually compliance with their corporation because you'll, you'll find out in most cases that the law says if you're an S-corp you're required to have a corporate meeting one time a year. Mm-hmm. And when I first talked to 90% of my clients, they never had a corporate meeting ever. They go to their uh, attorney or CPA, they get their corporation, I'm an S-corp now, woohoo! and they get that little binder, the corporation notes, and it sits on the, the counter and gets collects dust on the, on the bookshelf and that's it. And if they ever got sued, the first thing a defense attorney is going to ask you is kind of see your corporate records. And they're looking for those corporate meetings. And then they're going to ask you for your financials. And what are they doing? They're looking to see if you're combing the money and you haven't had a corporate meeting. And what they're going to ask the judge to do is break your corporate veil hmm. because you're not acting as a corporation as you should. And it happens every day. So by having these corporate meetings that you're already having, you're already talking business at home. I'm going to send document behind it and put everything together for you now you get the tax deduction. And now, but more importantly, you're in compliance of what you're supposed to be doing with the S Corp already. And that's why the CPAs really love what I do because the CPAs, they all know these deductions you can do. But again, it's the documentation behind it. Because I tell people there's three rules for the IRS. Is it ordinary and necessary? Is it documented? Right. And is it in the in the code? And if you follow those three rules, you're good because there is no gray area in the tax code. It's either black or white. Mm-hmm. Very fun to.
0: Interesting. Well, I mean, it makes a lot of sense because with the the, the CPA industry right now, I mean, that the biggest issue. Well, I keep saying this over and over. Is it's totally a staffing issue, and so so many of our clients, taxpayer clients, are looking mm-hmm. for advice. They're looking for consulting. They want assistance, but their CPAs just don't have the time to sit down and have these conversations. And they no. certainly don't have the time to work on the documentation for that type of stuff, like what you're and describing.
1: It's, it's true. And it's not their job. When yeah. they hire their CPA, their, their job is to file their taxes mm-hmm. with all the information they gave them. Yeah. And so I call my clients said, look, this is not your CPA's fault that they're not doing this. Yeah. It's not their job. So the life of a CPA is crazy. From January until March 15th, the, until April 15th, they're not doing tax returns. They're doing extensions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then from... April, all the way to August, they're firing their Medicare if they're a physician. If they're in Texas, they change Texas Franchise Tax. And then they're they're working on the extensions until October. So they have, and now from October 15th until December, they're going to take some time off because they've been working long hours. And so they really have two to three weeks to meet with average CPAs, 250 clients. There's no way, and it's it's not their job. And Mm -hmm. and that's why CPAs love what I'm doing is because I'm filling that gap and helping their clients out and added value service to the CPAs, what well we're
0: doing offer there. Nice. Yeah, I, I could see that with the documentation. You know, one area that I was kind of interested in talking with you about, diving into a little bit, is in regards to conservation easements. And yes. you know, this is in no way, I'll preface this, we're not promoting conservation easements, but I think it's interesting to first off, just to understand high level, what is a conservation easement? Because there's still some groups that really don't understand it. Uh, and then after we kind of define that, then, you know, let's, let's walk down that road a little bit and talk about right. where things are at with that right now.
1: Yeah. So, so an easement is actually just a deed that's put on a piece of property that says you can never, ever develop that property in perpetuity of the land. So for the life of the land, it just can never be developed. But back in the seventies, Congress put a provision in the tax code that says, if a land owner or land owners place a conservation easement deed on a piece of property, they get the difference between what the value of the land is that day compared to its highest economic value. So let's say, and I tell, I break it down very simple. If in Florida, an average lot costs $50,000 to build a house on, just to buy an average lot, and now we're going to build a house on a lot. So if you buy the lot and you build a house on it, it's easily worth $300,000 to sell just a basic house in Florida. So let's say you have that lot and you're never going to build on it. So it's $50,000 minus the, the, the house value is 300000 that owner would get a $250,000 deduction by never building on the lot. And why did the governments put that incentive back in there? Because if you remember back in the 70s and 80s, our country is growing, but we're really cutting into our wetlands, our farmlands, and our scenic areas. So the government just couldn't keep buying with the budgets back then. Uh, land up to conserve. So they said, you know, let's incentivize the private landowners to do this to conserve the land because we don't have the budget to buy the property and then manage that property on that side. But, mm-hmm. So it's, it's just a deed that's on a piece of property. And we've seen it. If you have a, a lot of city subdivisions, divisions, it says there's houses that in, and behind their house there's easements that never be developed. And th- those are easements because you give the owner, the, the excuse me, the property developer got tax breaks for doing that.
0: Yeah, well, we've seen that in uh, residential developments where yes. you know, there's areas where they require a certain amount of open space so that they're mm-hmm. they're maintaining that kind of open space feel, especially in Utah and Latin Mountain and resort communities. They've done a really good job with that. But another conservation easement, I think, you know, that everybody knows is Central Park. You know, Central Park in New York is, larger. is probably the largest conservation easement.
1: In a metropolitan area, which, correct. Yes. Yeah, which
0: has made sure that we have retained and kept land like that for public use that is kept natural, and we have the ability to, you know, so every single ounce of land doesn't get developed into a skyscraper. Um, So so there certainly is a place for it. Now it kind of comes into play how it has been used from a syndication type sense, where we've seen some investors investing into conservation easements for the sake of the tax benefits associated with that.
1: Yeah, so back 15 years ago, certain groups of promoters, said, hey, look, you know, because the, the average person who's making $500 million can't just go out and buy land every single year to get this great tax incentive. But not just a tax incentive, you're really conserving the, the environment, which is a huge, huge thing too. And so they said, you know what, let's put a group of investors together to buy a large piece of property. Let's conserve that piece of property, never develop it. And then they're going to the tax break. So they've been doing this for over 15 years and uh we really never had a problem until it got really popular and anything that gets popular there's always bad players that come into the game mm-hmm. and the bad players take advantage of the situation the highest and best use of the land and yeah. that's where the valuations come and play with the, uh, the irs is not very happy about
0: mm-hmm. and i yeah. can explain more what you like yeah yeah so dive into that a little bit about you know, I think it'd be helpful for our listeners to explain a little bit about how the how the calculation kind of works in terms yeah, of why someone so would go into like a syndicated type conservation easement deal.
1: Perfect. Yeah. So why would you do it? You know, first of all, so, you know, we buy land, it's a valuation for the highest and best use. So if you invest in a piece of property, let's say it's worth $100,000, but we know if we build that piece of property and build it out, we get a $450,000 deduction. On it, So now that client gets, for every dollar he invests, he's going to get a charitable contribution on that investment. So for every dollar he invests, he gets a $4.50 charitable contribution on his tax return. It's, imagine like given to the Red Cross, but it's a super, I, I, I tell you, it's a, it's a tax deduction put on steroids. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it, people took advantage of it. Because you see deductions eight to one, nine to one, this wow. over-evaluated mm-hmm tax deductions on it, but wow. it's a great tax incentive if it's done right and mm-hmm. tax planning done right for the client, but it has to be done right with yeah. the right sponsorships and programs out there yeah. because they will be challenged by the IRS.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it does require, it's a listed transaction. So conservation <laughs> easements require certain forms that are then filed reporting that you have made an investment into a partnership that's a listed transaction. So from there, you know, we've certainly seen a lot of legislative discussion about conservation easement and, and changes in tax law, wanting to first off retroactively take these away or hamper the potential benefit. So, you know, it's, I think the conversation is timely because there was actually a change just recently passed. I think in Biden's bill that was passed in December. Dive into that a little bit about you know where where we're at now.
1: I'm going to start from the beginning, from tax law to where it's at now. Okay, okay so there was no issues about it, but but in 2016, they made this a listed transaction. And when they made a listed transaction, transactions, they said, and first of all, the CPAs were wondering, why is this a listed transaction? Because it's the most reportable item on your tax return already. And it's because it's a non-cash trouble contribution over $500. So we have to put appraisal to it, with everything else is. So the IRS already knew you're doing it. So they made a listed transaction to really find out who the sponsors were mm. and how much the sponsors were being paid for it and the commissions on it, et cetera because there's some bad players. Hmm. Uh, 2017, this bill that you mentioned was trying to be put in place, the Fair Act of Conservation Easement Bill. And uh, it never got any gains because who invests in this? The centers do. I mean, there's lots of sinners that do this investment. And so hmm. it just never gained anywhere. But in 2020, they tried to pass it again and made it retroactive for 2021. Uh, it went nowhere because you can't make a tax law and say, oh, by the way, if you invested this in 2016, since it was become a lucid transaction... We're going to have to go back and make this a new law. And that new law says, if you invest in the conservation easement, you get a, it's a 2.5 deduction. So for every dollar you invest, you get a $2.50 deduction. And where did that $2.50 dollar come for deduction come from? Cause again, it was just, this bill was trying to be passed during the Obama administration. So during the Obama administration, the highest tax rate was 39.6. So if you look at two dollars and fifty cents, it maxes out that thirty nine point six. So for every dollar you invest, you get a dollar deduction. So Got there it. was no tax tax benefit. Mm-hmm. They just kept it there. Now it did just get passed. So there's some other things. So in just this last year, uh, the Sixth Circuit Court ruled that this is not a listed transaction.
0: Okay.
1: So uh, it depends if you live in the Sixth Circuit area. It's the, 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 they say it's not a listed transaction. Uh, the IRS did not like that as a huge loss for the IRS. And, and the reason why they ruled it is because the IRS did not follow the proper procedures to make it illicit transaction. They just overnight said in 2016, it was in the end of December, by the way, this is illicit transaction. Now there was no hearing on it, nothing. They just made illicit transaction. So if I went to the sixth circuit court, they ruled it. 11th circuit court is hearing it. They're going to do the same thing with it and say, it's not illicit transaction. So now comes a new bill. So finally, with this new Biden bill that's over 4,000 pages, 99% of it's not even related to our budget, they uh, earmarked this into the bill. And the bill now is not retroactive, which is a good thing. And there's new language in it, too. It says that the 2.5 deduction or if you wait three years, okay, you get the full deduction. Uh, So if you wait three years, you get the $4.50 deduction or whatever program you're in, a $4 deduction, et cetera.
0: So waiting three years, so you buy the property, essentially you sit on the property for a minimum of three years, and then at that point, if you want to roll this into a conservation easement, take the charitable deduction, correct. you can do it, but it needs to be three years after a Three-year
1: hold period for the full deduction, correct. Okay. But there's some language that needs to be cleared up with that too. Is it three tax periods, or is it calendar years? Because if it's calendar years, it's really a two-year tax period holding. Mm-hmm. So we're waiting for the clarification from the secretary who has 120 days to really clarify that. Now there's another caveat to that too that says, but there's another exception that says if you do a historical easement, not a conservation easement, and a historical easement is conserving a historical building, mm-hmm. you do not have to wait the three-year hold period. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a great thing. And there are historical easement uh, syndications out there and you'll see those more in downtown areas mm-hmm. and why they're in downtown areas because you're conserving, a, let's say, a 10-story building. But if you t- tear down that building in a downtown area, I can build that to 30 stories. So now you get the tax difference, the highest and best use of that ten floor all the way up to the, the 30th floor. It's just a great tax incentives there. But again, it comes down to valuation. And that's where the IRS is really hammering the valuation. But the problem with it is they've lost the majority of the cases. Hmm. And it's interesting because they lost it because the majority of these projects are really good investments out there and it's conserving the land. But again, there's bad players. And the biggest court case they lost just recently was the champion's golf course. And the the judge said, hey, look, IRS, you're wrong. The champion's golf course was a, they were asking $10.9 million deduction. The investors only put $2.9 million in. So they got a seven-to-one deduction, wow. okay? The IRS said this was worth $0 at first. Wow. And they won at the lower courts. Because the lower courts, the average judge just doesn't know how to handle this. And they, they, all he goes to all this appeals case. So they, the Champions Club, course, appealed it, went to the upper court. And the 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 judge said, hey, IRS, you're wrong. The way you're praising this is wrong. The the, the valuation that it is correct. But it's not 10.9. We're going to go down to 7.9. And the reason why the judge went to 7.9 was because they, the appraiser said, we're going to still be able to sell this property in two and a half years compared to five years. Oh, so okay. it doesn't about the valuation. It was just saying, hey, look, you, you did the mismarketing. as a haircut. But it's a great win for the, the investors on yes. this project. And a, a good win for the syndication. Yeah. But there's so much unclarity right now of the law with the secretaries and say for the listed transaction because the, the law says it's going to be a listed transaction again. But we're really waiting for the secretary to say how it's going to be written and what the recording of it is going to have to be. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we've had clients who have invested in easements. I'm familiar with them. I've worked with a number of groups that specialize in that structure. I know you have as well. But it's been interesting to follow how that's been transitioning. A lot of CPAs historically don't typically like to play in that space, Um, you know, get a little bit afraid of the listed transaction scenario. I've seen many of these who have gone under review, but the partnership gets audited, not the individual investor. Typically, correct? Right. Yeah, as, um, as the
1: whole as well it. Only the you know as the individual don't get audited. Only the partnership can be audited, and, yeah. and the good projects out there have a, a reserve.
0: Yeah, there's a reserve for the legal fees and for audit, and then you know the other the other point I think that's worth making is there are certainly it you know as with all things, <laughs> honestly, looking at what makes sense, looking at common sense, what is reasonable, and then making sure the documentation is appropriate. And I think obviously that rings true with conservation easements. If it's too good to be true, it likely is. But if we mm-hmm. really look at what makes sense, and in that sense, you know, I have looked at some of these projects that are dealing with um, with legitimate mines or oil right. and gas, we're legitimately pumping drilling and manufacturing Oil and gas, but they conserve mm-hmm. certain property around it in lieu of pumping, so that they're preserving something that might, you know, otherwise damage wildlife in the area or something that legitimately has a purpose behind it. Uh, right. I think some of those have a very strong standing um, and can make a lot of sense. But yeah, it's interesting to see how the IRS has handled these over the last few years.
1: And and, and I, I tell my clients if you're if this is a high risk investment because it really is an investment and it has a tax benefit. But if it's done with the right company and the audit reserve is taken to that risk out, you know, yeah. with it because IRS is going to challenge every single one. But you personally don't get audited; the partnership does. But yeah. I, I tell my clients, "Look, if I can, if you're going to save, if you invest a hundred thousand dollars and your net, savings is seventy five thousand, so you total saved one hundred seventy five thousand. <laughs> take that seventy five thousand because you're going to spend it anyway on taxes. Put it away in a good short term investment. <laughs> so if something does bad happen, you know, hypothetically." You already made that money to pay up, already and then and go from there. Just don't go spend that money. Go and go buy, uh, you know, a new car or go take the family to Hawaii three times a year. It just doesn't make sense.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, what other kind of alternative strategies have you worked specifically with, or you feel like are good options?
1: So, you know, I, uh, several of, options. We look at, we look at natural gas is hmm. a great alternative investment. For there's some clients out there just just don't like the easements, but they want a tax deduction to help them save money. Natural gas is a great investment. And the reason why is, first of all, for you get a deduction for right off the bat. So for every dollar you invest, you get about an 85 cents dollar deduction, which is great. So it's not just a deduction, but it's a great investment. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of natural gas companies out there. So there's three or four I look at with my clients, make sure the ones I like pay off usually within a year. Mm-hmm. And with natural gas being where it's at right now with Ukraine and Europe and natural gas shortages, my clients are getting their, their full return. They invested 100000 Within 13 months, they've got their money back, and they're getting these huge monthly checks. Wow. Natural gas. Because what happens with natural gas, is they, they say it takes about between $3.90 to $4 to make a profit. Hmm. And they're selling it for 7 $8 now. Interesting. Which is great. Now, this investment is a long-term investment. So it goes for a long, long time. And that's what to my clients, it's not something that, you know, it's short term three to five years. It's a long-term investment on that for tax strategies on that. Uh, another one I do is a lot of my clients, we talked about the buckets, Heidi, about the tax-free bucket later on retirement. Mm-hmm. A lot of my clients will have self-directed IRAs. They're business owners, they have a self-directed IRA. How can we convert that to a Roth? Roth conversions are great, but we can convert it all to a Roth, but you're going to have to pay a taxes on that conversion. So there are certain investments out there that we do. They, they have notes. There are three to five-year notes that pay 8%, which is great because with the volatile market right now, I'll take 8% all day long. But what happens is just like you're self-directed, every year it has to be evaluated. So these are construction projects. for building retirement homes, uh, condos, et cetera. And after the first year, they get revalued. And just like with any construction project out there, it's usually about a 40% discount from the valuation. So let's say you take 100000 dollars Now we take the IRA money, we just transfer it over to another account. There's no new freshman in your pocket. Now, but at the end of the year, we're gonna we're gonna revaluate. Now it's worth 60000 hmm. dollars So now we're gonna convert that to a Roth at a 40% discount on taxes. And they're making 8% a year. The money goes back to their IRA account, whoever's managing it after that. And clients really do like that because our goal is to take a lot of their income and make it into tax-free bucket later on in retirement. And a Roth is great. I love Roth because, yes, it's tax-free, but more or less there's no mandatory distribution on that. So <laughs> you don't have to take money out of that when you're at a certain age. And then also you can, you can pass it on to your kids <laughs> tax-free too for estate planning.
0: Are there are there limitations on that monetary limitations for how much you can convert or how much you can put in on an annual basis no, or rough. limitations for like like someone in a high income bracket?
1: Yeah, there's no limitations on Roth conversions. You can convert whenever you want. The highest the, the, on on that that side, there are limitations of that investment, and it's really suitability issues. Yeah. Like yeah. if some a client has five hundred thousand dollars, I'm I, I will the the vet, the broker dealer is not going to take four hundred thousand. They might take three years to take all that 500000 to switch it to a Roth, but a slow percentage is all about suitability on that side. But it's still it. 8% return and it's 40% discount.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So quite a few things. I think you and I had kind of mentioned um, Opportunity Zone investments as well, which can be good for some of capital gains. Kind of weird. We we really thought that we might see that extended in the Biden bill or even before that. It wasn't, um, yeah. We haven't seen any extensions on the discount of the capital gain that's incurred upon the sale of a property or yeah. the sale of some other long-term capital gain asset.
1: Now, it's going to be a separate bill, by yeah. the way, in February. It looks like it'll be a separate bill to extend the, the discount, but Opportunity Zones are great. All it is now is a tax deferral, huh. right? Because mm-hmm. there's no discount on it. But with opportunity zones, I'm always wary of who they are and what the investment is because a lot of them are just like. So, to explain the opportunity zone, back during Trump's administration, they were trying to make certain areas that could be developed, low income areas that could be developed, and and bring investors to those areas. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, they put a Trump uh, Trump's administration says Let's make it an opportunity zone where we can take a sell the business for capital gains. Okay. Any capital gains. But it doesn't have to be 100% like a 1031. So if you have, let's say you have a million dollars in capital gains, but you, own, you can only, you want to do $200,000 in opportunities, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, But what you need about it is you defer your tax capital gains for five years. So in five years, you defer your capital gains in five years. And if you hold that investment after 10 years, it's all your investments tax-free. And it was just great, but people were just going to the middle of the projects, literally the projects, saying, okay, we're going to rebuild this, Corner store here and make it a beauty salon. Well, it's really not a good investment. You know, you can put lipstick on a pig and it's still a pig. I hate to say <laughs> it. So, but the projects we look at are really have to be. When I look at, is really has to be a true investment purpose first of all, because it is an investment, and it has to make sense. So the ones I like to see with my clients do is they get eighty to one hundred percent of their money back in year four. Mm-hmm. And why is that important? Now they can pay those taxes. That's tax postponed in year five. And in, in 10 years, what's the return going to be? So, usually they're average between two and a half to three, three, three times the return. So, if you put $100,000 in, you're going to get $300,000 tax return in 10 years on, on that. Now, that's the great yep, Yeah, tax
0: free. Yeah,
1: yeah tax free. And in, in the year, year four, it's not taxable income to you because you're returning your principal. Right. So, that's not a taxable event for you. So, you have money to pay your taxes for yourself. Mm-hmm. And the one I'm looking at right now is in Tampa, right on the waterway. Hmm. They're building like a thirty-two story hotel. It's an amazing opportunity zone uh for the clients because it's in it pays and start paying dividends in year in year five too. For the clients Very nice.
0: so, Yeah, I agree. I like. You know, this this is one that uh when it first came out, I think that the original thought was this was huge. This was a massive opportunity. We mm-hmm. saw a lot of investors, developers, and sponsors go out and start to buy up land and plan to do these huge Opportunity Zone projects. But it was a situation where, you know, to your point, we, de- we don't want the, the tail to wag the dog. So we have to be what? aware that we're not making choices because of the tax implications. Ultimately, we're looking at making wise financial investments. So Correct. to your point, having these deals properly vetted Having someone who understands how to vet those projects and make sure the project's legitimate, that the sponsors are legitimate, and understanding the ins and outs of how that project works from your original investment through that long-term hold period, uh, they are tremendous. It was interesting, too, because I don't think there was near the amount of long-term capital available as was expected when this bill passed. Because, again, to qualify for the investment, you have to go in with capital gains funds. Correct. You can't just decide. Hey, this looks like a good investment. I'm just going to go. I've got some cash sitting in account. I'm just going to go buy into this deal. It's really yeah. fascinating because you can only buy into the deal with capital gains money.
1: Believe and- it or not, the client, the ones I recommend, you can actually. You don't have to have capital gains. You can invest into it because it's actually a real investment. Oh, nice! And it has great mm-hmm. because you know, three times X return is not bad. If I get my principal back in four years, yeah, and I'm going to get three X X in ten years. It's mm-hmm. a great investment. I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to pay taxes on that ten years because I didn't. I don't have any capital gains to write off mm-hmm. on that that side of it. But still, a good investment.
0: Yeah, perfect. That, yeah, yeah. that's the are right. Worlds, yeah.
1: I, the worst advice is to buy something for tax benefits.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I always got to weigh I, that. We I, see that we see that a lot with depreciation too, with bonus depreciation and looking at cost segregation. People making decisions because of the first year immediate benefit of the deduction. Which is difficult to pass up. I mean, it has absolutely created a windfall of tax savings, but still always important to look at the benefit of the overall investment. Yeah, do
1: you really need a new truck for a tax deduction? Yeah,
0: (laughs) that's right. That's right. Yep. Yes, opportunities
1: are great.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect. Well, Jeff, this has been wonderful. It's so cool to kind of just banter back and forth on some of these things. I think some of these strategies, things that people are not always aware of or really familiar with. And sometimes it's just nice to know enough to be dangerous and just have a few key points so that we can generally identify if something's worth looking into and also have a resource for someone who is familiar and understands the due diligence process, how to understand a good from bad potential investment. And you've, again, been a great resource. You've been a great partner to work with over the last you know 10 so odd years. Uh, and Thank I you. think I what you're doing is, is a great value add service.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Sorry, my dog's barking here in the background.
0: No problem. <laughs> we love dogs. <laughs> it's okay, fantastic. Good.
1: Gotcha. But thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Okay. All thank right, you.
0: Jeff. Thank you so much. Thanks for being a Bye. guest and Bye. we'll talk to you soon.
1: Bye-bye. Thank you.